This podcast is brought to you by GoMoto, the service lane kiosk that grows your business. Want to increase revenue, improve the customer experience, and maximize service efficiency? Visit GoMoto.com to learn more. That's G-O-M-O-T-O dot com. Welcome to Daily Drive for Monday, June 20th, 2022. I'm your host, Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kellen Walker. Today on the show, our power grid needs a jolt ahead of the EV influx. Ferrari won't hand over its driving functions completely to computers. And standalone single franchise stores have been hot in the latest buy-sell frenzy. Plus, Congresswoman Debbie Dingell talks about what policymakers need to do to make EVs affordable for more Americans. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Our electrical grid isn't ready today to support all of the EVs it will power in the future. That's the conclusion of a new report from a pair of nonprofit organizations. The groups Securing America's Future Energy, or SAFE, and the Electrification Coalition say lawmakers must press for a more reliable and resilient electric grid. They say the current grid isn't strong enough to support the millions of EVs slated to arrive on American roadways. The report also says policy and legislation are needed to support the vehicle-to-grid technology. V2G Tech is showing promise in offering a range of benefits and services to EV owners. It can also be used to store energy that feeds the grid and provides emergency power in times of need. Speaking of emerging technology that could change everything, more self-driving cars are also on the horizon. That's exciting for many of us. But what about people who drive high-performance supercars? Ferrari says its customers don't want any part of it. CEO Benedetto Vigna says Ferrari will continue to use Advanced Driver Assistance Systems, or ADAS, in its cars. But the company will never deploy so-called SAE Level 5 autonomy features, which allow vehicles to operate without human intervention. Vigna recently told Bloomberg TV that, quote, No customer is going to spend money for the computer in the car to enjoy the drive. The value of the man, of the human at the center, is fundamental. The consolidation frenzy among auto dealers, we all see it. Last year brought four of the largest acquisitions in automotive retail history, but it also included a wave of standalone single franchise dealerships changing hands. Automotive News tracked 382 buy-sell transactions that involved more than 700 dealerships in 2021. Of the stores sold, about a quarter were standalone single franchise dealerships. Ford was the most popular brand in that category last year, with 44 standalone stores selling. It was followed by Chevrolet, Toyota, Honda, and Nissan. One of the reasons that dealerships are so attractive for investors is the money they make from their finance and insurance departments. Five out of the six major publicly traded dealership groups produce more than $2,000 in same-store F&I gross profit on every vehicle transaction during the first quarter. Of those, Group 1 Automotive joined AutoNation above the $2,500 mark. The others in the $2,000 club are Sonic Automotive, Asbury Automotive, and Lithia Motors. Penske Automotive Group is less than $100 from reaching that mark. A year ago, only AutoNation's F&I operations made more than $2,000 per vehicle on a same-store basis. 
And those are today's headlines. Now, Jamie, we've been talking a lot lately about the role of policymakers in the big switch to EVs. Our top story today was about getting the electrical grid ready for this wave. What are some of the other big questions about what the government might do to smooth out this transition? Yeah, the grid is a really important part. Of course, if it breaks down, uh, you're not sending any energy around and whole areas are going to be you know, shorted. The other elements that are really important, right, is uh, distribution. That's the half million EV chargers that the federal infrastructure bill is paying to get installed around the country. And the other big thing is the generation of the electricity, trying to get enough clean, renewable energy to be produced in the U.S., possibility of more nuclear power, just uh, trying to get more electricity without adding uh, more carbon into the air. As we mentioned last week on the podcast, you got a chance to ask Congresswoman Debbie Dingell a few of those questions at the Automotive News Congress in Washington, D.C. We'll hear part of that conversation next on Daily Drive. Listen to Fred Hayes, service manager at Temecula Valley Buick GMC, and Philip Candido, fixed operations director, talk about their experience with GoMoto in their service drive. Before GoMoto, the backups in the service lane were due to not being able to get to the customer in a, in a timely manner. There's times where menus are passed over where the advisor forgets to tell them, hey, it needs its major service. And now with the GoMoto, customers are presented with a maintenance package every time. The time freed up from not having the customer sitting in front of them every single time they come in. It helps them be more efficient. It helps them focus more on the customer's concern and the, the maintenance and service of the vehicle. Before GoMoto, we would average approximately 130000 in service gross. The kiosk in the service drive doubled the gross profit in the dealership. It's amazing. 100%. Using the GoMoto kiosk makes the dealership more profitable. Want to increase revenue, improve the customer experience, and maximize service efficiency just like Temecula Valley? Visit GoMoto.com to learn more. That's G-O-M-O-T-O dot com. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Although automakers have gone all in on the switch to electric vehicles, there are still lots of questions about how successful that switch will be without help from the government. One of those big questions is whether Congress will revisit the cap on its $7,500 tax credit for EV buyers. Right now, GM and Tesla have already sold too many EVs for its customers to be eligible for any more tax credits. Other large automakers are close behind, Congresswoman Debbie Dingell is a Democrat from Michigan. I got a chance to talk with her about all of this at the Automotive News Congress event in Washington, D.C. last week. Here's part of that conversation. So let's start with EVs. We just had some uh, talk about the, the tax credit issue. Uh, with uh, you know, GMs are gone. Teslas are gone. Toyota, Ford, Nissan are all expected to enter the phase-out period fairly soon. And CEOs, as we just discussed, have been asking Congress for help to remove the cap on the $7,500 tax credits. How is that being received on the Hill? So I'm going to talk about EVs and I agree with what some of my previous speakers have said, but I'm going to answer, I'm probably going to answer this two different ways. First of all, <laughs> I think that the industry is more than any other industry now 
working together since, uh, I mean, he got to the place where they were at the White House together last August. This is where they're gonna go. They're not fighting whether global climate's real. EVs are the vehicle of the future. So we have this announcement last August, which by the way happened without Congress getting into it. If it had gone near the hill, it never would have gotten done, would have been screwed up and we'd still be fighting about it. It's the truth. But I say that there's three buckets that we need for EVs to be successful. And the first is vehicles have to be affordable. And they're not affordable to too many Americans right now. The tax incentive is, helps make those vehicles affordable as we scale up. So there's a lot of politics related. There's sort of three levels of the tax credit that was pending. Build Back Better blew up. We have to get that done. If people can't afford those vehicles, they're not gonna be able to sell them. That is a problem, pure and simple. We say this is where we wanna go, then we've got our policymakers have to help make those vehicles, they'll become affordable down the road, but you gotta scale up to mass production. So that's one. And the letter that I'm glad to know you're with in spirit was obviously important because of the fourth signature on there of Toyota, which may have been targeted at a certain senator from West Virginia, <laughs> but it was significant and not the rest of the industry's there. But I'm gonna tell you there are two other buckets. And I have said this to the president of the United States. I say this to both sides of my, uh, I say it to senators and to members of the house. You all talked about this to some extent, batteries. We have to continue to invest in the R&D. Consumers have to have confidence that the battery's gonna have the range, and we can't be 80% dependent upon China, and we've got to mine those minerals here. Joe Manchin says to me, we'll never get the, the environmentalists will never give a permit. I said, Joe, that's not true. We're gonna work it together. So many of you may know that last year, the Green New Deal people picketed me for two years where everywhere I went, they were there, sat in my office. But I said, I will bring everybody together. And I got the environmentalist community and the labor community at the table. The president of every major environmental group sat at that table with the president of the unions. That's how we got to the White House last August. We're gonna do the same thing on minerals. Jared Huffman, my uh, colleague from California, so the environmentalists have somebody there. Fred Krupp was in, uh, Michigan this week, and we are putting together a mineral table. The administration's got a task force. We got to get that figured out. That's a very important part of this because as we just heard, we, we are going to be really upping the amount of mining that's got to be done in this country and how we're going to get there. Third, people have to have confidence. They're, until we build out that infrastructure, and upgrade the power grid, it's not gonna happen, and Congress has to make sure they both happen. Yes, there's a private sector role to play in all of it, there's money in the infrastructure bill, not enough, Build Back Better had passed, there would have been more. It's gotta be a public-private partnership that built out that infrastructure, and quite frankly, we have to upgrade the power grid. We can all set this goal, unless we have the policy that is gonna support making that a success, they won't be successful. Because it is such a massive transformation. It's the infrastructure, it's the technology, it's the consumer and the economy. It's a lot. On the affordability first and the tax credits from the Build Back Better, I'm safe to assume you preferred that structure that included favorable treatment for the UAW-made vehicles? You know, we're trying to support production in the United States and support the American worker. Yes, and the UAW strongly supported that. That got blown up by Senator Manchin. So now, what do you think can get through Congress? Would it be just a, something that's sort of a straight extension or maybe so a, a larger cap? I'm gonna say several things. And one is that all negotiations do not need to occur on the front page of papers, cable news, or at automotive congresses. 
I think that there are discussions going on. I think there is a recognition of all stakeholders right now that these vehicles aren't affordable. And it is my hope, uh, working with all of the stakeholders, we will get to a place where something happens. This is the part where I'm asking you the questions you can't answer. Or won't. Or and won't answer is what I mean, yeah. <laughs> Should there be other restrictions though, like price caps, you know, that they, that we not that the government not be subsidizing $100,000 vehicles? Should there be income limits on the buyers or one per household? Are those kinds of things appealing oh, I, to I, folks? I, I, I think we've got to look at everything on the table. I don't think you should be, I think if we're going to transform to an electric vehicle industry, which is what I think is going to happen long-term, then you're not going to save one vehicle per household. I think we've got to have the tax credit is going to be discussed on a, a number of levels. I, honestly, I haven't even heard all of those. Uh, I'm trying to be not get any manufacturer mad at me, though I will say that a lot of the average American can't afford a Tesla. But I didn't say that. Uh, but we've got to make sure that we are working this and figuring out a way that's a fair way, but that treats the manufacturers and fairly as well. What about a phase out, because my understanding was the letter just said, well, remove the cap and at some point later, maybe we get rid of the, the, the I think credits. that there are discussions going on about what it would look like. Will there be, an, we just heard 600,000, but there, there are all kinds of different discussions. And I think that when you're really trying to bring every voice to the table, every stakeholder to the table, you've got to listen to everybody, find where you can get the common ground. We know, that we've got to do a tax cut of some kind right now. The fact of the matter is these vehicles aren't affordable. And uh, I mean, 20,000 is an expensive car for uh, a lot of people. It's going to go, we all know that as, as you scale up, you go into mass production, costs go down. The cost of a battery is expensive right now. So I, I think what, I think there does, I don't think it can go on forever, I think, there will be some kind of, people will sort out what the length of time it should be and what the number should be and that those are all part of discussions. One more on, just one last, see if, uh, if uh, you can share. Same. Well, or just, to, I mean, just to, if, you, if you can share, yeah. I mean, like, who is, who is working on it? Who is, are, is there, are there individuals in the House or the Senate you can Well, I mean, about? very clearly, Debbie Stabenow Dan, Dan Kildier on the Ways and Means Committee and the initial uh, tax credit was there. I, I think that the White House cares very much about this. I think, I mean, none of you are stupid. Senator Manchin is a key player. We can't get anything through without him. And I think that there are a number of people who care very deeply. I mean, by the way, there were other things that were in that Build Back Better bill. I mean, I'm a car girl, so I obviously care about the success of my industry and everybody wants us to move to electric vehicles. And I'm like, not gonna happen if we don't do the policy that's gonna support it. So I think, that key leaders are trying to see what can be agreed to in reconciliation. It's more than this issue. And the more we talk about it, the less likely it's going to happen. Congresswoman Debbie Dingell is a Democrat from Michigan. I spoke with her at last week's Automotive News Congress in Washington, D.C. If you didn't get a chance to attend that event, no worries. You can still stream it on demand. Just go to autonews.com slash wash D.C. Congress. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer Jake Neer for his help on today's podcast. 
You can get the latest news on federal EV policies, finance, and insurance, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.